Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Sasha Koka. It's the California Report magazine. And this week, we're continuing our story about Mauricio Hernandez, an undocumented immigrant from Mexico who had this unexpected brush with fame. We brought you the first part of a documentary about him last week. Here's a quick recap. Mauricio crossed the border and came to Los Angeles back in 1991 when he was 16. My first dream was to be on television be famous some way, somehow. After sweeping the floors in an L.A. auto shop, Mauricio found his Hollywood moment, fixing up cars for the hit MTV series Pimp My Ride. So you want to be a player, but your wheels ain't fly. You got to hit us up to get a pimped out ride. Mauricio helped transform clunkers into works of art at a body shop called West Coast Customs. We end up doing Pima Ride for six years. Those six years were, I don't know, the happiest years of my life, I can say. By day, Mauricio was meeting the rich and famous, but he was still undocumented. One day, this wealthy Mexican investor stopped by West Coast Customs. He approached the owner of the shop, Mauricio's boss, a guy named Ryan Friedlinghouse, about buying the rights to open a franchise in Mexico. But on one condition, Mauricio would have to come to Mexico to help them open the shop. Mauricio told Ryan he wasn't sure it was a good idea because he was undocumented. It's not like Mauricio could just go to Mexico for a few months and then fly back to L.A. I say, hey, dude, but I don't have no papers. How am I going to come back? I say, I'll bring you back. He says Ryan promised to get him a U.S. visa. So Mauricio went for it. He said goodbye to his three kids and flew to Mexico City. And that's where reporter Levi Bridges met up with him last year. Mauricio grew up in a historic neighborhood where a guy rides a bicycle through the streets at night, selling tamales. The tamale guy, you know, it's a really popular thing over here in Mexico. The street Mauricio grew up on is like a parody of what you'd expect. It's in a car neighborhood lined with part stores and mechanics who specialize in different repairs. Every business here is about cars. Bolts, uh, cables, batteries, radiators. They sell engines and the other side, they, um, they fix transmissions. The other side, they fix the suspension. Mauricio used to ride his bike through here, peering in at what the mechanics were doing on his way back home. Well, this is the house. The house Mauricio grew up in is small, painted green shaded by tall palm trees that his grandfather planted. I used to miss this 
When Mauricio left LA, it was his first time back here in nearly 20 years. His first time in Mexico as an adult. Mauricio left Mexico with dreams of being on television. But what's extraordinary about Mauricio is his wildest dream did come true. Just not on the side of the U.S. border he would have expected. Once Mauricio got back to Mexico, the two guys who brought the West Coast Customs brand to Mexico came up with the idea to launch a version of Pimp My Ride in Spanish. And Mauricio became the host. They called the show Tuneame La Nave. It's a direct translation of Pimp My Ride that's so perfect, it's almost poetic. When they say we're going to record the show, to me it was a test. Let's see what happens. Mauricio didn't get his hopes up. They made a pilot, but nobody was sure whether it would go anywhere. The idea was that people would send in pictures of their cars each week. Mauricio would choose which one would get tuned up. Mauricio designed most of the show himself. He didn't want there to be any acting, not like on Pimp My Ride. But most of all, he wanted the show to be funny. Mexicans, we always want to put chili in it. We want to put lemon in it. We want to put salt in it. So I want to put those spices in it. And the result was like a blend of the Three Stooges and Pimp My Ride where workers bumble around the body shop, spilling paint thinner on each other. The show got picked up by TV Azteca, one of Mexico's main television channels. And after the the show aired, um, it hit big. I had fans from five years old to 80 years old. Suddenly, Mauricio's show was being broadcast to every state in Mexico. For years, Mauricio had done the grunt work on cars that appeared on Pimp My Ride. But he was always behind the scenes in the shop. Now, Mauricio became famous in his own country. He was literally the exhibit of Mexico's Pimp My Ride. Siempre existe un líder en cualquier proyecto. Él es Mauricio. Vamos a cumplir tu sueño realidad. Te vamos a tunear la nave. Nobody told me, you know, you're going to become famous. You've seen a lot of people starting to recognize me. Mauricio didn't let it go to his head. He was flattered by the attention. And pimping out cars for free? That felt so good in a country like Mexico, where it's way harder for people to afford things. Where material things, especially cars, can sometimes have way more value than in the U.S. People of Mexico, we love our car. The car is part of the family. Like, you talk to them, you, you call them your baby, you put a name on the car. I can say, if Mexicans, we, we can put our car inside the living room and watch TV with the car, we, we would do that. That's how we are. Tuneame La Nave was supposed to be kind of a comedy. But the show would also get emotional. People were really moved when they saw the finished cars. In the year when I had a like sadness inside of me because it was hard for me to see people crying, see people getting really sentimental. Yeah, I wanted to cry with them, you know. So at the end of the recording sessions, I would go to my office, close the door, and I remember I used to cry a lot. Mauricio is a genuine kind of guy, and that came through in the show. I think it's probably part of why fans were so drawn to him. 
But Mauricio says the attention he was getting in Mexico created a rift between him and Ryan, the owner of West Coast Customs. I don't want to call it jealousy, but when I became a celebrity in Mexico with his brand, I guess he felt like kind of jealous. And I totally understand that, but it was not something that I planned. Mauricio says that Ryan eventually came down to Mexico for an event promoting West Coast. And we had this line full of people that wanted to get an autograph. And I remember Ryan was right next to me. And people will come to me to get an autograph. I was already like thinking, this guy is going to get mad because people didn't recognize him. Mauricio says that after just a few minutes, Ryan got up from the table and left. So I felt something was wrong because I knew him. So Mauricio went to check in with Ryan. He wanted to know what happened. He's like, nothing. Are you sure? And he told me, yeah, I'm sure. Why don't you go and take care of your fans? They all want you. And after that, it wasn't the same. It didn't just affect their friendship. Mauricio says when Ryan sold them the franchise, they made an agreement. Ryan was supposed to give me a visa back so I could go and see my kids and so I can come back and keep working for West Coast Customs in the States. That was part of the deal that we made before I was coming to Mexico. Mauricio tried talking to Ryan about the visa, but he says Ryan just kind of ghosted on him. Ryan didn't talk to me for the story, so you won't be hearing from him. I reached out to him a few times, and his publicist sent me an email saying they wish Mauricio our very best. Did you feel like he betrayed you in any way by not saying, oh yeah, of course, I'll get right on this and bring you back. I know you want to come home. Not betrayed. Not betrayed, but yeah, left. Left alone. Kind of abandoned. Yeah, just abandoned me. But it's just like, I didn't want him to feel like that. Like that, oh, I have to do it. Oh, I have to bring this guy. I wanted it to, for him to come out from his heart. Like, when can I bring you back? How can I bring you back? Mauricio was really stranded in Mexico. Getting his own TV show, becoming famous, that was not part of the plan. And despite all the cool things that ended up happening, Mauricio wasn't planning on staying in Mexico. I had a promise to my kids in, in the States, and my promise was that I was going to come back uh, on Christmas Eve so I could be with, with them, you know. He'd been in Mexico for about six months. By this point, it was summer 2009. Time was ticking. And if he was going to make it in time for Christmas, Mauricio realized he couldn't count on Ryan anymore to get there. I was like, if he doesn't want to help me, then I'm going to do it. So Mauricio says he tried applying for a tourist visa. People who don't earn a lot of money in Mexico often get denied visas because folks in U.S. consulates think they're just trying to find a way to work in the U.S. But a Mexican television host? Easy. The people at the embassy, uh, they, they ask me, you know, have you ever been in the States? Which I say no. And at that moment, they told me, okay, well, your visa is approved. But then a week after, uh, the embassy called me up and told me that they had to go again. You know, they, it was some kind of problem. So I went to the to the appointment, and the same consul, he asked me right away, he said, why you lied to me? The consular workers investigated Mauricio. He still had a record from that time during the L.A. riots, when the cops found Mauricio and his cousins taking gear from the looted convenience store. So they gave me a five-year penalty to get in, into the United States. But because I had that promise with my kids about me going to see them on Christmas Eve. I had it to be there. 
get there. No matter how, I just wanted to get there. Mauricio was committed to reuniting with his kids. He only planned on being gone from LA for four months. Now, almost a year had gone by. He'd already missed out on a lot of their life helping Ryan build West Coast Customs. I wasn't the perfect dad, but I can tell you that I, I was always trying to be the perfect dad. And he was damned if he wasn't going to keep this promise. There was really only one way he could get back to his family. So Mauricio did something really bold. He went up to Tecate, a Mexican town on the border with California, and hired a coyote, a smuggler, to take him over the border. It was $5,000, which I was going to pay to cross, and they were going to cross me through the mountains. Uh, At that moment, I can tell you, uh, honestly, I was scared. He was afraid of getting caught by the Border Patrol, of getting locked up, spending Christmas in jail instead of with his kids, maybe never getting back to California at all. It was hard to cross at that moment. They had like so much security around the border. Crossing the border is dangerous. Thousands of migrants have died trying to get to the U.S., many trying to reunite with their families. And here was Mauricio, a Mexican celebrity, a guy with a national TV show, making good money, walking through the arid borderlands like countless other migrants. Mauricio met up with two coyotes in Tecate, who planned to sneak him over the border, walking. We were like about 12 people, 15 people. It was people from Oaxaca. It was people from Guatemala. The coyotes told them all to empty their pockets. An ID, a cell phone, keys, coins, bills, wallet. You couldn't take anything than just water. They set off around midnight, slipped under a barbed wire fence started walking through the darkness. Tecate is a small city in the mountains east of San Diego and Tijuana. It's high, semi-desert country with scrappy shrubs and these massive boulders scattered everywhere. Before they left, the coyotes made sure that nobody, especially not the border patrol, could track them. They gave us this carpet with some wire and whatever you were wearing, if you were wearing boots, tennis shoes, whatever, you had to put a carpet on the bottom so you don't make the footprints. With the pieces of carpet attached under everyone's shoes, Mauricio says they took off trudging up into the mountains. The coyotes were walking fast, really fast. Something about them didn't seem right to Mauricio. So I knew a lot of people doing different drugs and I knew those two guys were getting high on the way. I knew the smell of Kristen meth, and I caught them like a couple of times smoking. And that's why they were walking so fast that they were not getting tired. From the beginning, I knew something wrong was gonna happen. As they walked into the darkness behind these two methed out coyotes, the temperature kept dropping. It was cold. It was in December. I remember it was really cold. I had this badass jacket. Like one of those big puffy jackets for winter. And it was really, really warm, but it was that kind of material that makes noise. So I remember that guy told me, he's like, you know what, you, you cannot go with that jacket. The coyote told Mauricio he had to throw the jacket away. Any sort of extra noise, it might draw attention to their group from Border Patrol. Mauricio said he wasn't gonna walk without a jacket. So the coyote gave him his. His was cutting, he gave me this crappy ass jacket. They crisscrossed up into the mountains 
back and forth, following an unmarked trail of switchbacks. And I was already tired. I was really tired. It was, it was really tough, like, going through those mountains. I wasn't in good shape. I was never doing exercise. I, I smoked. I smoked a lot. Mauricio was having trouble keeping up with the group. Eventually, they all stopped in a cave up in the mountains. Mauricio collapsed on the ground. I just remember they told us just to wait there. And I could I, I could hear them like smoking outside because you could hear the lighter going, going, and going, going. But because I was so tired, I don't know. It, it just, it happened in one snap, you know? I don't think I slept for like half an hour, 20 minutes. I knew I slept for like five minutes. But I was tired. I don't remember like sleeping for a long time, but I I do remember when I woke up, there was nobody at the cave. At first, I thought they're all outside, you know, and when I went outside, it was nobody. Nobody. The coyotes abandoned him out there. And I just want to say, this is actually pretty common. As a reporter covering immigration in the border, you hear lots of stories about stragglers getting abandoned by coyotes during border crossings. Mauricio was out there all alone, with nothing. The coyotes had made everyone empty their pockets. But I kept my cell phone. I hide it. Mauricio had the number of the guy back in Tecate who had arranged this trip. So we gave him a call. He kind of like got mad first, but then he told me, stay there, we're gonna come and get you. It was scary, it was really scary because then I was alone, left out in the mountains. The only light we had was the moon. You could hear snakes. You could hear the bushes move. You're like a city guy. Have you ever been out in the middle of nowhere by yourself like that? No, of course not. No, no way, never. Mauricio was just out there, totally freaked out, waiting and waiting, but nobody ever came. And after like half an hour, I called this guy, and when I tried to call him, there was no phone. They shut down the phone. It never went through again. Mauricio started walking through the night, trying to find his way back to Tecate. You know what's funny? That I will see the border patrol like far away up in the hill. I would see the lights. I would scream so they could hear me. I wanted to get caught by the immigration because I wanted to be safe. But Border Patrol didn't see him. He kept walking through the cold night. It was getting harder to see. The moon went away. It started getting cloudy. It started raining like really hard. Now Mauricio was starting to panic. He kept tripping and falling in these deep depressions in the earth, bruising his arms and legs. Now I couldn't see nothing, like nothing. Like you will have your eyes open and you will see only darkness. I got panic, I panic a lot. Thinking I'm gonna die here. So I remember I started saying, Mauricio, start thinking, thinking, what you gonna do? He still had the cell phone. So when the rain died down, he called this Mexican emergency hotline. And they told me, how much battery do you have? And I said, I don't have that much. 
Can you find out with a satellite where I am? I don't know, something. But no. This is back in 2009. The Find My Phone app wasn't really a thing yet. Mauricio just had this old flip phone. The people on the other end of the emergency hotline urged Mauricio to just stay in one place. Wait until morning. I was already all wet because of the rain. And I started shaking. Like bad. Like really, really bad. I started to have a lot of hallucinations. I used to look up and see my kids' faces in the sky. And I, I will scream their names and tell them that I'm sorry. And I will cry and then I will laugh. I was getting nuts. I started to remember when I was a kid, when I was a boy, what I did right, what I did wrong. I was preparing myself to die. I remember I told God, I don't want to die like this, please. I don't want to die right here. The worst thing that went through my mind, I was like, I'm going to die here and nobody's ever going to find my body. Mauricio kept walking. Even after sunrise, Mauricio says there was this thick fog hanging over the mountains. It was still hard to see. He called the SOS number one last time. This lady answered the phone. I told her I'm really desperate. I don't have that much battery anymore. I know it was the last shot that I was going to have. And I told her, please tell my mom, tell my kids that I love them, but I know I'm going to die here. They kept talking, trying to get Marisa to give them any details that might help them find him. As the sun rose higher, the fog lifted a bit, just enough to see the landscape ahead. The land was like painted red. The trees, the bushes, everything was red. All that red was a long ribbon of flame retardants that had been dropped from the air to put out a wildfire. The emergency hotline transferred Mauricio to a guy who knew the region well. He's like, I know where you are. He told me that as long as I will see red, walk in that direction. That was the last call I couldn't make because then my phone shut up. I knew if I will follow the instructions, I was gonna save my life. Mauricio kept walking, following the line of flame retardants over a hill. And at the top, the city of Tecate came into view. In the city below, Mauricio saw an ambulance that had been sent for him. He ran down the hills toward the arms of a paramedic. He hugged me with his blanket, and I don't remember nothing else. Later that night, he finally regained consciousness in a hospital in Tijuana. I woke up with all these bags full of water warm around my body. Like, they couldn't believe it because I had a 90% of hypothermia in my body, that they couldn't believe how I survived. When the doctors released Mauricio, he got on a plane back to Mexico City. I was feeling sad. I was feeling empty. I was feeling happy. Happy that he'd gotten a second chance at life. Sad and empty because he had run out of options to get back to his family in California. The trip over the border, almost dying, really traumatized Mauricio. I was already having fearness of uh, darkness. I had a panic. I couldn't sleep. He couldn't bring himself to try crossing the border again on foot. No way I was going to try that again. Now Mauricio had to confront a new reality, one where he wouldn't be living with his kids. And my mind was like, I, I let him down, you know. I told him, well, I can't go anymore. I risked my life to see you guys and almost die. I'm sorry. I know they were young. They couldn't understand. Mauricio started thinking about starting a new life in Mexico. 
staying there permanently. He asked his partner to join him. Come, bring the kids, come over here, let's make a life together. And she will always laugh. She will always laugh and say, do you think I'm going to go there and leave the States and go back to Mexico? That's never going to happen. Not long after that conversation, Mauricio and his partner separated. Mauricio's kids came down to Mexico a few times to visit, but their relationship wasn't really the same. Things felt strained with all the distance. Sometimes people get the chance in life to become a good father. And some of us, we just don't, for some reason it doesn't happen, because trust me that I tried. As Mauricio was trying to accept everything that happened, he threw himself back into producing the TV show in Mexico. Like they say, you know, the show has to continue. But doing the show wasn't the same. I was missing my kids. I was missing a family life. During season three of Tuneame la Nave, Mauricio ended up hitting it off with someone he met on the show. They decided to start a family and eventually had a daughter. It felt like a second chance. The love that I felt for my daughter is magic. Mauricio's daughter was born during the last season of Tuneame la Nave. TV Azteca canceled Tuneame in 2013 after four seasons. Mauricio said there were problems between the producers and the network. But even though this was the thing he dreamed of doing since he was a kid, losing the show didn't feel like that big of a deal, especially after everything else he'd been through. You weren't sad when it ended? No, I wasn't really sad. I had this platform. I'm famous. I know how to work in cars, so I could just open up my, my new shop. Mauricio was happy just running his body shop and being a father again. But it was a financial adjustment. After he lost the show, Mauricio says that lots of people he'd grown close to, that he thought were his friends, really just wanted to be around him because he was on TV or because he had money. You'd rather be by yourself than be with somebody that probably is going to hurt you because that people that you say, that's my friend, it will probably end up stabbing you in the back. A couple of years later, Mauricio's new partner also left him, along with their daughter. And although Mauricio doesn't want to get into all the details, he says part of the reason is that she lost interest when Mauricio's show got canceled. They had to reduce their standard of living. Mauricio was just a guy working at a car shop now. Mauricio's relationship with his ex in Mexico eventually improved. He sees his daughter regularly. And sometimes they do things as a family, even if they aren't together. Over time, he started to adjust. And Mauricio started opening up to his fans on social media about what he'd been through. And I started getting a lot of messages asking me for help. His fans started reaching out to him about their personal problems. People going through breakups or feeling depressed because they were overweight or lost their jobs. Some people reached out just because they were thinking about going to the U.S., to a place like California, like Mauricio did. When you meet Mexicans who tell you that they want to go to the U.S., what do you tell them? Not to go. It's not worth it. I had saved a lot of people from going to the States. It's hard to say whether things would have worked out so well for Mauricio if he'd stayed in Mexico. Whether he ever would have gotten a TV show or owned his own business. Living in the U.S. is part of what helped Mauricio make his wildest dreams come true. But along with all the good things that came out of that, 
being an immigrant also caused him a lot of pain, and he wouldn't wish that on anyone. Reporter Levi Bridges with the final part of the documentary, Mauricio Across the Border. You can hear the whole story if you subscribe to the California Report Magazine podcast. A version of this story was first produced by the KCRW podcast, Unfictional. The California Report Magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Susie Racho is our producer-director, and Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our team also includes Amanda Font and Hector Arsate. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.